Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, it is officially mid-January. Snow is falling gently, but definitely steadily in Boulder. It's two weeks into the new year, right about the time that our resolutions fade away and old habits creep back in. For me, as you know, I just finished the Engine 2 7-Day Challenge. It's a new program that my friend Rip Esselstyn launched recently, and it was an awesome little, I guess I could call it an eating boot camp. And by the way, Rip was my number five ever episode for Run This World, and he's still in the top 10, so you got to go back and listen to that one. Um, but what this little eating boot camp did was get me back on track after that massive week of gluttony that I will have every year. Because in one week, we jam in Christmas, our anniversary, our kid's birthday, and New Year's. So in my opinion, no one can survive that kind of crazy week intact, especially from an eating perspective. So now I'm recalibrating. Um, I'm taking the parts of the seven-day challenge that I really needed and reincorporating them into my eating and nutrition regime. And for me, the number one point of doing something that would be considered fairly extreme to most people, including me, is to make me more conscious of what I'm putting in my body. Because the reason I did this is I needed a jump start, And it's all about choices in the end. And I don't care what you decide to do or what path you want to take. But the one thing I encourage everyone to do is to continue to experiment with their own bodies and souls throughout their life and to stoke that little flame of curiosity that will creep in from time to time. And if you don't do that, you're going to feel a little less complete or you're going to get a little further behind. So... When you're not in a great place or you feel like you need to make a change, find something that will help you move out of a rut and into a new place of excitement and self-love. So if it's Rip Esselstyn's Engine 2 7-Day Challenge, awesome. If it is something else, that's awesome too. And actually, this is a perfect segue, which leads me into today's episode with Meredith Atwood. So Meredith is also known as Swim Bike Mom on Facebook. She has a huge following, like 30,000, you know, community fans, whatever. She's a perfect example of making change in, in your life. So she went from having completely lost herself physically, emotionally more to a very clear moment when she realized it was time to make change. It just happened. And then she did it. And the very special thing about her is that she's done it all with full transparency, inviting people to take the journey with her. She eventually wrote a popular book. um, It's sort of a get started book called Triathlon for the Every Woman. 
Um, that was when she decided that not only was she going to do a triathlon during this time of change and metamorphosis, but that she was going to become a triathlete. There's a difference there. It's really cool. She'll talk about it in the interview. But that sentiment perfectly sums up the all-in approach she takes in life and more. So with that, let's bring her on. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. Awesome. How are you feeling today? I'm good. I had a good day. Good day so far. Well, so I am very excited to be here today with my new friend, Meredith Atwood. Meredith, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You have such a fun, interesting, very gritty at times, unique, real story. And when my friend Kim Rosenbarger, we should give a shout out to Kim and Jason, yes. I think. Kim, uh, Kim told me about you and what you're doing out there in this world. And I looked you up and I was like, oh, cool. She's like, you know, leading a bunch of women on sort of a transformative and spiritual journey in their lives. And then I was like, but why? How'd she get there? <laughs> like, what's the big deal here? Like, how does someone get to be doing that in their, you know, to that place in their life? And so I thought about it and I thought, well, today you're the leader of this, I, I, there's probably a better word for it, but I thought inspirational health and wellness training, nutrition resource, like a program for people. But 10 years ago, you were in a very different place. And I true. think we should start right off by talking about your life before Swim Bike Mom or before life today as you know it. So tell, sure. us, tell us where you were <laughs> 10 years ago. Um, so I have a nine-year-old son. So 10 years ago, um, I had a kid in utero. So that's, <laughs> that's a little bit, uh, you know, interesting in itself. But I guess probably the journey was more about um, eight years ago, I guess, um, is sort of where it started. But basically, I had two kids under the age of two. And I was a lawyer. I am a lawyer. And I was doing the commute. I lived in Atlanta. And driving back and forth, you know, raising two kids, married, living the dream um, with the mortgage and the debt and the fast food and the lattes. And, um, you know, I just didn't know which way was up. It was just the craziest time. I mean, nothing was wrong during that time. It's just, I look back on it and I remember thinking, what in the world has happened? (laughs) Like, what has happened? It was just the craziest time. And so, um, you know, 10 years ago, I just eight years ago, I just kind of felt lost. I, I had kind of lost my sense of who I was, or, or maybe I never even got to the place where I knew who I was at that point. But um, it was just a really tough time. And I, and I don't mean to sound ungrateful, because, you know, life was full of blessings, but it was just a tough time with two kids that young. And, and my kids are 14 months apart. So um, they're, they're like rapid fire. <laughs> Well, not to mention the games that your body plays when you have kids and having kids that close, you probably weren't able to sort of get back to whatever baseline you had before, right? um, before the second one came and then your body was playing games on you again. I mean, I always joke that when I found out I was pregnant with my daughter, who was the second child, that... I looked over in the exorcer and there was my son, five months old, like drooling and bouncing up and down. And I thought, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is happening again. You know, there wasn't even a pause. 
to figure out what was coming next. So, um, they were, they were quick. I mean, I was still breastfeeding, you know, my first one and, but I'm glad it happened that way now. And how old were you? Um, I was 27 with the first one. So I I guess I was kind of turning the corner to 30 when, when this whole journey began, the fitness Mm -hmm. journey. So what was the catalyst that took you from that place where you didn't know which way was up to where you are now? (laughs) Well, it's really interesting. I I joke all the time that it was food. Um, It was cookies to be exact. Um, I was working my law job and there was an email sent out that there was going to be a lunch and learn, which I always love these lunch and learns because they have like the most amazing food and you can get all the cookies. And um, so I got the email that said lunch and learn. And I was like, you know, hot dog, let's go get some food. <laughs> and then and um, I went into this lunch and learn and it was a uh, put on by the gym downstairs. And I was like, oh, geez, I don't want a gym membership. When am I going to have time for that? And I mean, at this time, I guess I was. <laughs> I mean, they, the kids were one and two at that time and uh, maybe a little bit younger, actually. And I was probably 240, 50 pounds. And so, you know, the last thing in the world I needed was a gym, even though it was exactly what I needed. But, you know, by the end of that lunch, I had scored myself a free gym bag and got a gym membership <laughs> and um, I was ready to go. And, you know, one of the, the pivotal moments was actually when I went home and told my husband, uh, I said, you know, hey, I joined a gym today. And the look on his face, and I always have to be really careful how I phrase this, it wasn't disappointment, it was just surprise. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I had just hit the point in my life where I was pretty, you know, quote unquote, far gone. I was very overweight and very depressed. And completely inactive. And I mean, I used to, I used to be an Olympic style weightlifter back in the day. And so I used to have fitness and not endurance. So he looked at me like, uh, you joined a gym. That's, you know, (laughs) and he's not a cruel person, but it was just the look on his face. I could just tell I was really far gone. And so I angrily went and packed my gym bag for the next day and said, I'm, you know, I'm going to this gym. And so I did. And the next morning walked into the gym and didn't know what to do. And so I went into a spinning class, which is, you know, the cycling class with all the, the bikes and the people. And I didn't make eye contact with anyone. I just kind of rolled in and hope no one noticed me in my, you know, stretchy pants and just no workout apparel that was even remotely <laughs> attractive. We can solve but, that. I know. I thought you might. Um, But, you know, I went into the the class and positioned my big bottom on the bike seat. And it was then that I looked up and I apparently had walked into the triathlon mecca of the world. (laughs) And there were all these really super fit people. And then there was me, you know, and my butt hurt from the second I sat on that seat. And then I could see myself in the mirror. And I was like, oh, what has happened to me? It was just, and the spinning instructor was fantastic. And he led the class and his name's Jerry Halfman. He became a triathlon coach later. But um, the way he led the class was all, you know, today's the first day of the rest of your life. What are you going to do with it? And I'm sitting there with my fat butt on the seat and just crying, like literally weeping, thinking, I can do better than this. This is not me. Um, and, and that was the catalyst. That changed everything for me. Uh, 
mentally, I think. It, <laughs> everything else took a little while longer, but <laughs> that was the catalyst for sure. Wow. So there's a lot of messages in here. Um, I think most people can relate to this idea, this concept of reaching points in their life where you lose sight of who you are. Mm -hmm. And you were there. Yeah. You were there time. with the two kids under two and you had completely lost that athlete that you had once been and you were consumed by work. And I even love that the precursor to the catalyst was that you just wanted to get a good meal, some free food. <laughs> yeah, And man. I mean, we can all relate to that too. I take lunch in invites all the time if I like the restaurant. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and food is a theme that is so emotional to people. So I can't wait to dig into that too. But there is, there, there's also that moment of, it seemed to me like you were watching yourself in that class. Yeah, I, it was almost one of those out-of-body experiences where I was kind of hovering. It's really, you know, you have those moments, and I always call it like flim-flam because it's kind of, I mean, I, I'm very internal and spiritual, but, you know, it felt like one of those, you know, transcendental, transcendent, I can never say that word, but, yeah. the, you know, the moment where <laughs> you got like, it. a bomb. Yeah, don't, don't expect me to use big words. But, the, you know, it was one of those moments where I kind of floated above myself and was like, wow, this is, this is a moment. And it, it's one I'll never forget. I call it the spark. I mean, that was the spark. Mm. It for wow. sure was. It's so powerful. Here's a, here's a tough question. Because you say this about people who aren't yourself a lot. You go, how did they let themselves get to that point? I mean, it's an it's a honest question. And now looking back, you have some distance from that. But was it just day by day, step by step, you walked away from the kind of person who you thought you were into a person who you didn't know? I think so. I think so. I think it was a slow progression. I mean, it started when I was very young and I always wanted to please everyone. I always wanted to make everyone proud. Um, that's how I ended up in the legal profession. I, I didn't want to be a lawyer. I just, it, it became the way to make people proud of me. And I think when you live your life fulfilling someone else's expectations and dreams, that you start to slowly chip away at who you might have been. And, and I think when you're in a crazy profession and you throw kids and, and husbands into the mix, that you start to look for coping mechanisms. Like, how do I push down this loss of my original dream? Like, when I was 15 and 16, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be a photographer. I, went, I originally went to school for journalism. And um, I pushed that down. I became a lawyer. I was a litigator. And, um, you know, so I ate because that that made me feel better. And I drank. Um, I drank like a fish um, because it, it made the voices stop. And, and it also makes crying children stop. Mm, <laughs> you don't um, hear them anymore. You don't mm -hmm. hear them. Or if you do, you just you, you don't care as much. Um, not that you don't care about the kids, but the the, the pain of the crying and, and the internal voices can be numbed. And, and the question is, <laughs> you know, how far are you going to numb it? And, and I numbed it straight into giving birth to my second child weighing 280 pounds. Mm -hmm. And, and it, interestingly, when she was born, she was not 100 pounds. So I didn't know like what to do with that. <laughs> right. You were like, I thought I was going to lose all of it. But I no, you're going to have this birth. huge baby, like yeah. world record baby and be fine. But I think it just I didn't I didn't let myself get there. The, the same person was still underneath. I was just 
coping. I was trying to not disappoint people. I was trying to raise my kids. I was trying to make my boss proud. And it, I just woke up one day and that was what had happened. You know, I, I, I never, I always, um, you know, did my job at work. I took care of my kids. So I didn't, I, I mean, I guess I let myself go, but everything around me continued to spin and I kept all the plates in the air. And I think sometimes as a mom, that's what happens. You just lose yourself to keep everyone else afloat. Well, so you have this transformative and powerful and emotional moment on the spin bike surrounded (laughs) by people who hopefully you're blocking out because you're probably thinking, God, I wonder what they, what they were thinking (laughs) when I was weeping on the bike. But part of that had to be the, the realization that you needed to start putting yourself first again and fulfill your own needs again. And this is something that many people struggle with, women and men, because of the factors you mentioned, you know, trying Mm -hmm. to please other people, trying to keep plates in the air. We lose ourselves. Right. How do you put yourself first and keep your own priorities in place um, without feeling guilty about it? And I mean, I think it goes back to the the time tested uh oxygen mask analogy you know if you're not breathing you got to put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you can put it on your kids and and your people around you um in that moment in that spinning class it wasn't that I said I'm going to put myself first I I think I just said I recognize you you know I joke in my book that I called myself the fat stranger because I looked in the mirror and I was like who is that fat person like who is that stranger um, looking back at me. And, and I think in that moment, I kind of recognized her and, and I was like, okay, this is what we got. Let's, let's see what we can do with it. Um, so I didn't make a conscious effort to put myself first. I think I made a conscious effort to recognize that I was there. I existed and, um, I mattered, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and good. And I, yeah, I don't think I, in that moment, I put myself first, um, but that was definitely the start of it. To, to say that, that you matter is sometimes a revolutionary thing to say. <laughs> you know, it depends on where you are in your life, but that is a big step for some women, and it was for me. And it can continue to repeat itself because in order to make these changes for good, you have to change the way you think and the way you approach the world. And a lot of times people have a few tries first Mm -hmm. and they slip back into old habits and they stop putting themselves first and taking care of themselves and putting the oxygen mask on. I love that analogy. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's really important. I just love that. I matter. I matter. Do you matter? Yeah. Yeah. Come on, everyone. Say it with us. I matter. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually want to talk a little bit about your relationship through this because you marry someone or you're in a relationship with somebody and they know you as a certain person and they're comfortable with that. You gain Mm -hmm. comfort in habits and rituals and, and, you know, just general security and comfort. And then you changed. You said, I don't know how that went, actually. Did you come home and say, I'm going to make this change. It's happening. And you kind of framed it like I was kind of mad at him or like resentful (laughs) or thinking he didn't think I would stick with it or do it. So, hey, sometimes that's okay. Sometimes you got to do stuff just out of like pure stubbornness, you know? Yeah, yeah. 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 So how did your marriage evolve through this? And has your husband been super supportive the entire time? 
Um, no. And, and the interesting, so I met my husband when we were both Olympic style weightlifters. He's three years older than me. And so he knew me as a competitive athlete, um, for in weightlifting, obviously that's a different sport than endurance. But, um, so we, we grew up, um, we were friends. We didn't date till much later, but so we knew each other. Um, so he essentially, uh, stood by and watched this happen to me, you know, like this, this, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a decline, but he watched the change. He saw um, me go from someone who was active to someone who wore sweaters outside in the summer because my arms were too big. Um, so, and he was never, you know, he was, he was one of those men that, that loved me. Um, he never treated me poorly because of my weight, which I was fortunate. Um, I don't know that he ever said anything about it. So I was fortunate in that regard, but I think, you know, he was happy when I started, you know, working out, but I think there was just a doubt because I had started so many times. I mean, every Monday was a new diet. Every Monday was a new DVD in the mail or something. So joining this gym was, was no different. Um, I think in that regard. So he didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> he didn't, he didn't know. He just kind of went along for the ride. And, um, can I ask his, a, can sure. I, I ask a question about that? So, Many, many people can relate to trying, wanting to make a change and then desperately seeking every option. So they know mm -hmm. exactly what you're talking about. Right. So what made this gym workout day, what made that experience different? What made it stick where the other things didn't stick? I think part of what made it stick was just the place in my life. Like I had, you know, when you just reach the point where you've had enough and you don't even know what that means, you're just like, I've had enough. I don't know what's next. <laughs> I had had enough. I had had enough of everything. I had had enough of the way I felt, the way I looked, the, the, the fact I wasn't sleeping. I just had enough. And I think that that day in spin class was a, was a permission that was given to me by, by Jerry, by the spinning instructor hey, this is your permission to take control of your life. And I had been waiting for someone to say, it doesn't have to be this way. And and it didn't, I didn't know who that person was going to be. And I don't, you know, just looking back on it, I see it that way. But on that day, in that moment, it was the permission I needed to take a leap. And by being in a gym that had a ton of triathletes, which is swim, bike, run, um, it slowly kind of leached into me as I went to spin class after spin class and I saw their, their triathlon shirts and their super little shorts. And I thought, what is with these people in these right. tiny shorts? Right. <laughs> and, and so that, you know, that kind of, it, it just kind of soaked into me a little bit, but okay. I do think it was a permission. It was someone saying you can change, you can, or just that you don't have, you know, every day is the first day of the rest of your life to today can be different. And I needed that. So what if you woke up every day saying that? Do you wake up every day saying that? I do. Like, and wow. that's not, not now. I mean, not for the past eight years, but I think the last couple of months I've kind of relived that. And I do, I, I do think that every day. Um, that's kind of one of my mantras. It's a great, yeah. it's a great thing for people to try. Expand, yeah. write it down, make it the first thing you see. So let's go back to your marriage. Let's go, let's go, you know, hit on your marriage a little bit more. So, uh, so your husband was probably 
just waiting for the other shoe to drop and for you yeah, to drop sure. out and move on to the next thing. For sure. For sure. And, um, he, yeah. And then he, and then when I decided I was going to do triathlon, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead, but he, I could see that was when the resentment started. Um, because everyone knows triathlon and training takes time and it often takes weekends. And so try telling a husband, peace out, dude, I'm heading for a two hour bike ride, have fun with the two and one year old, (laughs) you know, it started to become a problem. And, um, so what did I do? Like any smart woman, I said, I have a great idea. I signed you up for a race. (laughs) And so I signed him up for a triathlon and, and so I got him into the sport as well. And, and then we became the push and pull of a two athlete family, which is even more insane. But if you can't beat them, join them. That's <laughs> so that's what I did. Well, and there's nothing wrong like with the husband, you know, taking care of the kids, but when they're not used to it on a weekend, it's jarring. So I totally get that. And I agree that if you don't include your family in your passions in a way that they, they don't have to participate, but as long mm-hmm. as they have buy-in, you know, right. and they're like, okay, I can get behind that. I can support you. Or maybe I'll do it with you. Or maybe you just sign me up so I have no choice, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, I, I think that's a really good message, too. And, you know, as I step back and I go, well, wow, there's been, you know, many, many big things that you've had to battle through during, you know, from this moment of realization to turning and sort of transforming yourself three big ones bubble up for me. Mm -hmm. One is fitness and that I think evolves into triathlon. Another one is food. And with Mm -hmm. that, you know, weight loss and body image and all that. And a third one you already mentioned, so maybe we'll start here, is alcohol and drinking Mm -hmm. and shedding something that you called a coping mechanism um, that a lot of people, it makes a lot of people actually uncomfortable, I think, when you say, yeah, I stopped drinking, I'm sober. Because, (laughs) and the reason that they often feel uncomfortable is they might think you're judging them or they're actually looking inward at how they use alcohol. And -hmm. there's a lot of jokes in our world, a lot of running and wine. And after this, we're drinking beer. And, you know, great if you do that in a healthy way. But there are a lot of people who I think fall into your category of, um, you know, leaning on it too heavily. And, Mm -hmm. and I will say, and everybody listening who's heard other podcasts of mine know that I have not had a drink in 10 years. So I also totally relate to this crutch and this relationship with something outside of yourself that allows you to either escape or be someone that you don't think you can be without it. Right. So it's a powerful thing. And I want to talk about it. I want to talk okay. about how you used and when you stopped and, and what that process looked like for you. Well, um, so I was always the second I had my first drink. Um, I loved it. And I was always a, a good girl growing up. I did what I was supposed to do. And when I escaped and um, had alcohol in my reach, it was the most awesome thing. I love to drink. I could drink anyone under the table. I was a fun drunk. Um, I had a great time in college. And um, I spent one year in, um, in law school where I left in the 
uh, spring semester of my second year of law school and I decided I had a drinking problem. And so I quit. Um, and when I went back to law school in the fall, people didn't recognize me <laughs> because I had lost so much weight and changed so quickly. Um, and so I was sober for a year in like 2004. And I looked back on that as one of the best years of my life. And some, you know, after, for whatever reason, I started drinking again. And then 12 years later and two kids later, I was still drinking a lot. And, and the realization came when I um, started working with a nutritionist and she said, I want you to log your food. And I was like, okay, great. I've done that a million times. Here we go again. And so what I did with that though, I used to lie. I would lie to myself on my food logs. And um, because no one wants to write down, when you're drinking a lot, no one wants to write down exactly how much you drank. But uh, with wait, this... If you're the only one looking at your food logs, why would you well, lie? she was going to look at... Ah. I don't know. Well, that's a whole other issue. Why I would lie to myself about my food logs, I don't know. That's probably another podcast. <laughs> but, um, you know, this nutritionist wanted to look at them. And so I would never have admitted what I was eating or drinking to anyone. Um, but I did with her and I logged my first day of food and, you know, breakfast was a nice, healthy green smoothie. Lunch was a salmon salad. And then dinner was a martini burgers and fries and a bottle of white wine. And I logged wow. that and wow. I logged it for a week because that's kind of what I did. Um, I would hold it together for breakfast and lunch. And then, you know, the kids would roll in and dinner would need to be made. And I'd you know, pour a martini or pop a bottle. And before I knew it, it was bedtime and I would be a bottle and a half down. Um, that, and then I'd get up at four and five and go train. You know, it was, it was how I lived. And when she looked at, at the food log, we were on a Skype call and she was like, wow, this is pretty bad. <laughs> and I knew it was bad, but to, to admit it. And, and I think that was the key for me. I did not lie about what I was doing. Um, my husband knew I was never a closet drinker, um, <clears throat> but I never told anyone how bad it was. And, you know, Brene Brown talks, her whole shame research and everything always talks about how shame thrives on secrecy and silence and judgment. And, um, you know, when you share your story or you share your experience with anyone, it sort of brings it into the light. And I remember just, I felt free. I had admitted, <laughs> this is what I drink. And I felt a little bit of shame, but I felt like I was in a position to admit it and to deal with it. And, and that was also a very big moment to, to admit that weakness or addiction, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Cause weakness is, a, you know, it's a tough word there because in, you know, alcoholism, if, would you define yourself as having been an alcoholic? I, I I'm kind of on the fence with, with the term. And, and here's why. Um, I know Alcoholics Anonymous is a great program and it's helped so many people. Um, and so I don't, I please don't anyone think I'm talking badly about it. But for me personally, um, the, the first step is, you know, uh, to admit that your life is unmanageable. Um, that, that alcohol, that you're, you have a problem and that your life is unmanageable because of alcohol. And I never wanted to give alcohol that kind of power. Um, I never, ever will admit that my life 
was unmanageable and that I was powerless over alcohol. I can't come to that place because giving something that kind of power, even in that statement, there's so much power in words. And to say that you're powerless over something, Mm. um, that always bugged me. Um, So I don't want to knock the program, but me personally, I never came to the addiction or to the problem as being powerless. I came to it almost like on my knees, like I have a weakness and I need someone to help prop me up and I need strength. I I don't need, you know, I'm not powerless. I have strength. I I just need more of it or I need tools. You know, I, I, I came to it with that framework, I guess. And I totally understand that. I do. I, when I went through my own battles and struggles, and by the way, I totally relate to your year drought because I actually had two of those in my life, one right out of college and one, oh, you know, 15 years ago. And, uh-huh. uh, and eventually went back to, oh, I'll have a glass of wine. And then suddenly, yep. you know, it rears its head again at a certain point. Mm-hmm. So until you're ready to just completely quit, it's, it's, you're not gonna, you're not gonna make the changes you need to make. And I remember this definition of an alcoholic or an addict, it is a little bit vague. I don't, I don't know if there's like a universal definition, but I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine, his name's Scott Strode, and he started an organization called Phoenix Multisport. Mm -hmm. And he was an addict, maybe not, you know, alcoholic addict, both. And he basically provided a lifeline for other addicts to change their addiction in a sense and find fitness mm-hmm. and funnel their energies and, and move their life forward in a positive way because he also, the self-help type groups weren't working for him. So his, he needed to find a new way. And I remember asking him, cause I was, it was kind of raw for me at that time. And I said, well, what do you, what would you define as having a problem? And he said, well, I think you have a problem if what you're doing is hurting yourself or hurting other people that you care about. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and I think that people listening, if you are questioning whether you're looking a little bit too forward to your glass of wine at the end of the day, <laughs> which so many women and men do, if you're questioning whether that doesn't feel right to you, then maybe you should take a deeper dive and, and think about, am I hurting myself? Am I waking up feeling physically bad and can't you know, function? Or am I hurting people around me? And that might be mm-hmm. something that might make you want to make some changes. That would yeah. be my thought on that definition. Yeah. And I think um, you have to also reach a point where you're honest with yourself. I, and I came to that table when I realized um, how many times did I say, and I, and I actually went through this with my nutritionist. I came to this point where I said, can I have one martini a day? And she goes, I don't know. Can you? Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I realized that I would rather have zero than one because I wanted four. I never drank to relax. I drank to, and I I wasn't a blackout drinker, but I always drank to the point where I just didn't quite care. (laughs) Yeah. You wanted the buzz. You needed the good buzz. Yeah. (laughs) I I wanted, I wanted the silence. You know, I'm a, Mm. I'm a raging insomniac as it is. I'm very, uh, high strung. And so I think, you know, in type A, like most triathletes tend to 
you know, moved to the sport, but, um, you know, I needed the quiet and, and that's what, that's why I did it. It was, it was to function. Well, you know, in any, uh, any counselor or professional would probably say, you know, when you're going through life change, don't make too many changes at once, but We know I like to blow it up, man. <laughs> I like to blow up the world. <laughs> changes. <laughs> so let's talk about some of these other changes. And, and just for a moment, let me just say that I so applaud you in your path and your journey and the fact that you're being open and vulnerable about big issues that a lot of people are so scared to bring out in the open. And I think it helps so many people know that they're not alone. So thank you for that. Oh, thanks. Thanks. So then let's talk about, um, we're talking about addictions. Let's talk about your relationship with food. Oh, yeah, my, <laughs> my second addiction, <laughs> my secondary addiction. I mean, the food um, journey got you started on this, you know, health journey in itself. So yeah. it, like, what, what were you like before? What do you do now? Tell me a little um, bit about your, your food philosophy. So for most of my life, I treated my body like a trash can. Um, it just is what I did. Um, I was a, you know, a chunky little kid and I look back on it and I think, oh my gosh, I was so not fat. But at the time, you know, there was a sense that I was fat because some little scrawny kid on the playground told me so. And so I spent my whole life on a diet, literally, um, you know, my, my parents, we were products of the eighties and you didn't know you weren't supposed to put your kids on diets. And so they were trying to help and put me on Weight Watchers at 10. And, and that was the beginning of the end for me with food because deprivation was the key back then. And so, um, that, you know, everyone would go to bed and then I would go stuff my face with whatever I could in the pantry. And, um, and then when I went into weightlifting that talk about a sport that, you know, you have a sport that has a weight class, right? <laughs> um, we're going to need you to lose 10 pounds before the next competition. And oh, so geez. I, I just, it was such a dysfunctional relationship with food. It was never nourishment. It was never joy. It was always, something to be withheld or something that would punish me and it would punish me by having me gain weight. So coming into adulthood with that sort of eat whatever, and then, you know, you reach a certain age where things just stay, you eat pizza and it stays with you. (laughs) It just lives on your hips. And so I just treated myself really poorly um, because food, well, food is delicious. I mean, food tastes good and you, you just want to sometimes shove a lot of food into your face and it's it's good in the meantime. But for me, it was it just began this cycle. It, it was the the release cycle. I mean, when you when you overeat for binge eaters out there, you know what I'm talking about for the moment you start stuffing food into your face to five minutes after you feel great. You're escaping your endorphins are high. The food tastes good. And then it becomes the roller coaster where you, you start, I mean, maybe it's not immediately, maybe it's the next day, but then you start the hate cycle. <laughs> like, I hate myself that I did that. Why did I do that? And you start beating yourself up and then you wake up the next day and it starts all over again. So for me, coming into a, a change of perception with food as not being um, a band-aid and food not being anything 
other than nourishment and also to take pleasure in it, but to do it with the foods that I'm capable of, of regulating. I mean, there's some foods that I cannot eat because I will eat the whole bag or box or whatever. Um, so it's been a really long process and I still don't have it figured out. I mean, I can still easily go on a binge, but the difference is, um, the Meredith that I am today that I wasn't even three years ago, the difference for me is I realize my very next meal or my very next snack can be different. I don't wait till the weekend or till Monday to start my diet. I just live my life now. And I realize that every, every meal can be different. If I blow it out at lunch and have junk food or something that, you know, is less than ideal, I just eat better at dinner, you know, (laughs) immediately. I have a salad instead of, I just start taking care of myself. It's all about self-care and being healthy, not about what you weigh or what you look like. It's just feeling good. And and once you get a few days or weeks of, of feeling good under your belt, it, it builds momentum. You know, you're you're like, oh geez, I feel good. I don't I don't actually want to go eat a gallon of ice cream because it's gonna make me feel bad. <laughs> This is uh, really powerful because I know so many people, I'm this way too, where Mm -hmm. you start out the day. This is kind of what you used to do too. You start out the day, you hold it together, and then you let loose. Some people will be like, oh, I already blew it by noon. My day is done. Mm -hmm. I may as well just blow the whole rest of the day. So there's these like start and stop points that people put in their head where they're like, well, I'll start fresh in the morning. But right. it doesn't have to be that way. You can right. start fresh with every bite you choose to eat. And it's reframing just this old mentality. And um, my, my nutritionist at the time, and she, I, I give her a ton of credit for the big changes that I made in the past couple of years because she's just really intuitive. And the first call I had with her, we were on Skype and it was three o'clock in the afternoon. And she's, you know, we're going through nutrition stuff. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll do that tomorrow. Um, that's what I'm thinking in my head while I'm nodding. And uh, like I said, it was three o'clock and the, and I had literally, while I was on the call with her, texted my husband, the little like fiesta emoji <laughs> with the question Mexican for dinner. And I thought we're going to Mexican. I'm going to have some margaritas. I'm going to just blow it out. Cause tomorrow I start, but like right before the call, she said, so what are we having for dinner? And I was like, well, I, what do you mean? I mean, and she said, well, you know, we've had all this discussion. So what do you have in your house that you can make that'll make you feel good tonight? And, um, you know, you can feel good tomorrow. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. I'm going to Mexican, you know, but she actually put that seed in me. Like it's a, there is no start and stop point. Your life is one continuous line and you, you're just on it and you're, you're on this path. And, you know, just do the best you can. There, there is no start and stop point. And that night, I kid you not, I canceled Mexican. And I don't remember exactly what I ate, but it was something healthy. And I woke up the next day. And I felt so different. Just so different. I, I can't even explain it. And that was another big turning point. Wow, you mean I can change two hours from now? <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, that's a shift. Let's uh let's swing over to the sport of triathlon because yeah. this and and we're you know we're winding down a little bit here, which is kind of cool because we're winding down on a wind up topic. <laughs> um you know, when a lot of people are making change in their life and including fitness again, they don't immediately go, 
I'm going to do a triathlon or, or I'm going to embrace this triathlon lifestyle. They start with like a one mile or a five K. And so what was it about (laughs) triathlon that made you fall in love with this? Or as I was thinking like, how dare you think you could just jump in and just do triathlons right off the bat? It's sort of that mentality of like, what got you there? Yeah. And that is very, that is a relevant question. Like, how dare I? And that is a very relevant question to this day. Many people would say, how dare you still to me? Um, and, and that's after four Ironmans. Um, but I went, I decided to become a triathlete um, after spending about a year in these spinning classes with these crazy triathlete people. And I say I decided to become a triathlete because that was different then I decided I, I decided I would do a triathlon. I wanted to become a triathlete. And, and I define that differently than doing an event because I wanted to be those crazy people who are in spandex. And I wanted to have this challenge that seemed impossible. I, I wanted to, to do that. And I didn't know how to swim. I, I was a terrible bike. I had a bike that I would I would get on and fall. I mean, and running, I mean what a joke. I I could do none of those things. And to take on something and to say, I'm going to do this when it, when everything says, how dare you (laughs) was ballsy. And when I decided to do it, I felt ballsy and I felt empowered. And I didn't, I had this resolve with that decision that was comical. I mean, I didn't know where my goggles went. Every time I put my swim cap on, I'd slap myself in the eyes. You know, I'd fall over at red lights on my bike. And I mean, it was a joke, but I wanted it. And it was important to me because I had lost so much of myself at that time. And I thought, well, I don't know who I am. So let's try triathlon, Meredith. (laughs) Let's see what happens with her. And I started the blog, Swim Bike Mom, with that sentence, I have decided to become a triathlete and my mom read it and nobody else read the stupid blog. And then people started reading it because frankly, it was funny. Um, you know, what, what happened when Meredith took her bike out this weekend for eight solid miles, you know, but I think that's what is so amazing about taking on something so foreign and so laughable. I mean, the first triathlon I did I wore a t-shirt over my suit and I'm glad I did because as I was running, it slid up and became a midriff, <laughs> you know, it's, it's things like that, that I wonder how I got, to, how I made it day to day in the sport. But this, it's been such an incredible self-discovery journey. Well, what I, what I think is really cool about this shift from this concept of wanting to do a triathlon to I'm going to become a triathlete is you were making a clear decision to transform yourself. And so this was a, not just an event to train for that could allow you to go back to your own old ways. You Mm. were declaring to the world that you were changing and becoming a new person. And that is, that takes, like you said, balls, strength. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the, fortitude, but it's also really exciting. And I can just feel that passion coming from you. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I'd had it right. I didn't know. I just had it. And so I thought really what, what else can go wrong? I, 
And, Hmm. you know, I made a decision and, you know, next you have action and then you have consistency and then you have freaking fireworks, you know, things change Mm -hmm. and um, you can decide to do things all day long. You have to have the follow-up action. Um, I became, I read everything I could get my hands on about triathlon and, um, you know, I took the action, but I still, I mean, I sucked at it bad and I didn't care because I had decided and dang it when you decide something you do it <laughs> well, and I kept going not everybody has that but when they feel strongly and something's lit from inside then I know they can relate and everybody strives for the fireworks whether it's in relationships or a job or an athletic pursuit like the fireworks are what keep us going because we know they're out there when we surpass our greatest expectation and it's just I love hearing yeah. this And I mean, I would challenge the statement that not everyone has it. I mean, at the time, I did not have it. I had no gumption or firework either. But I think everyone can have it. And it's it comes with that, that decision, Uh, you know, make a decision and you will be so I think everyone can have the the spark and the firework. It's just what's going to make you tick, you know, or have you reached your limit? Or is something exciting or scary enough? Um, you know, to go forward and, and yeah, but the fireworks are good. But I mean, the really the only fireworks I had for quite some time was just me like skidding across pavement. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, that that's, you know, that's all right. We, you know, those are, those times will come and go, but that's part of your learning curve. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so we have, uh, we've really covered a lot today and we're well over a 5k and uh, I want to make sure we talk about some of the cool programs you are doing before we a- end on our final question. Um, I want to point out that you, everyone listening, you guys need to check out Meredith's book, Triathlon for the Every Woman. I will have a link to it in the show notes. I'm sure you can Google it. Can they get it on Amazon or where yeah, do they buy Amazon. it? Amazon, Amazon, yep. Barnes and Noble, yeah. Great. Get the book, read it, write a review. You know, I'm sure you'll fall in love with Meredith. Join her community. She's on Facebook, has a huge following, Swim Bike Mom. Um, You'll have to, I'm sure there'll be some information up there for when the next Swim Bike Fuel program is going to run. Yeah, it runs um, April. We'll open up registration in March. And and then we we have the virtual tri-club, which we just launched, which is super exciting for any of you who out there who are interested in triathlon, um, but you're intimidated by a local club or don't know where to start. Um, we have a virtual club that um, has amazing sponsors and, and discounts, and we're super excited about that, too. But most of all, cool. we have su- support and information and, and, and that kind of stuff, too. So that's the latest thing. And that's our uh, social media on that is best try club ever. Ooh, cool. <laughs> dot com. Yeah. Best so. try club ever dot com and hashtag best try club yeah, ever. Hashtag, yeah. And Instagram. We're, I mean, we literally are 12 days old. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. Ooh, infants. Um, great. Awesome. Okay. Well, we'll have links to all of this in the show notes. So head over there. So let's, let's hit it here. We have really, we've knocked it out of the park today. You're such a special person. I'm so excited to share the story with the folks who listen to run this world. Um, and I'm going to ask you the same question I ask every guest who comes on the show. Okay. And that is that if you had one lesson, one piece of advice, one little nugget, for everyone listening, so that they could run their worlds in a bigger and better way than before, what would it be? I would go back 
to every day is the first day of the rest of your life. And I stand by that statement. And if you can wake up in the morning and recognize that and like breathe it into your soul and just, you know, take a moment and and think about that, it changes everything. Um, It just can reframe your day. It can reframe your physical, your emotion. Everything can change when you realize that within a second you can make different choices and you're not stuck and you're not a tree. Um, you can, you can change, you can change on your terms, not anyone else's. Um, it's gotta be on your terms, but every day is a new day. And, um, I am grateful for that. Thank you. <laughs> Very grateful. But, um, that's it. That's beautiful it, definitely it for me. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're fantastic. Thank you, Nicole. So are you. Keep doing your good work. Thanks, lady. Wow, I love Meredith. She's super cool. Thanks for listening today. You know, one of the things I love so much about Meredith is she makes these big, huge, scary life changes seem doable because they are. And that's the greatest message for anyone listening who feels a little bit stuck. Um, Her final nugget is such a great one for all of us. Every day is the first day of the rest of your life. So on that note, let's get on living. Uh, Please note that I did open an account on SoundCloud. And I'd love it if you can follow me there, share from those pages. They have these great little embed codes you can put anywhere that include the graphics and all that comment there whatever you want to do check out other people's great podcasts there's so many good podcasts out there i'll have to do a podcast sometime on all the other great podcasts because i believe in sharing the love all right everyone you know what time it is it's time to get out there and run this world have a great workout and i'll see you next week